we lease out to somebody like a contractor or a smaller business who needs an industrial office space plus some storage. And those are usually on a longer term three or five year lease. But for the most part, your five by 10, your 10 by 20 type units, those are on a month to month lease. Welcome. This is the Hot Real Estate Investing Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping others through real estate investing. Our hosts interview guests from all aspects of real estate investing who generously share valuable experiences and advice. Whether you're starting out or an experienced investor, this is the show for you. How's it going? My name is Travis Shelton and welcome to the Hot Real Estate Investing Podcast where I interview guests who want to help others investing in real estate. We keep these fun and full of value and I'm really excited for our guest today to delve into a topic we really haven't touched too much on and that's self-storage and why self-storage can be a great investment for the busy entrepreneur. And my guest today is Michael Margarella, the founder of Nextplay Investments, real estate investor, real estate broker, attorney, and probably has three or four other jobs, but uh, we'll let Michael uh, tell you all about it. So thanks for joining me today, man. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, you know, can you give our audience your 30 second elevator pitch and maybe just a little bit more about yourself and your real estate focus? Yeah, absolutely. So we started in the single family and small multifamily space. Uh, we bought some rentals, we did some flips and burrs and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And we quickly realized that there just wasn't quite the same scale that we wanted. Uh, there wasn't quite the same amount of meat on the bone as, as you see in some of these commercial asset classes. So we transitioned over to commercial and we've done a little bit of multifamily, uh, but our main focus is on self-storage. So excited to chat with you today about that. No, nah, that's awesome. We always start our podcast with some motivation. Um, what's the motivational quote you'd like to share with the audience? I'd say lean into the uncomfortable. Uh, that's something that we've really taken to heart, especially in the last few years here. Um, I'll give you a specific example for that. We started a self-storage fund about a year ago, and we were a bit on the fence about whether to launch the fund or continue doing one-off syndications and joint ventures and things like that. And one morning I woke up and I just, just felt a little bit uncomfortable about it. And that was the day that we knew it was time to launch the fund. I texted my partner and within the next week we had calls lined up with our attorneys to press go. That's amazing. I always love the action that people take. And it's always scary before you do something, right? Like I'm sure that was uh, had a lot of consternation and trying to figure out, hey, these these single syndications are going well. Is it worthwhile to do this this fun and everything? But you're so right. I feel like I'm I'm getting uncomfortable right now in a deal right myself. And so I totally feel that pain. I'm like, I'm dealing with all this money, I'm dealing with all these people's, you know, expectations and and it does get a little bit, you know, ner nerve-wracking, right? If it doesn't, you're probably in the wrong business. <laughs> For sure. And there's always a lot of thought and preparation that goes into it. And there's weeks and months of uh, analyzing every small detail. But at the end of the day, when you wake up and you just feel a little bit uncomfortable, that's usually when you know it's time to take the next step because you have to step outside of your comfort zone to actually take a step forward. Oh man, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's definitely going to be probably a real hair for the, for, for the audience. But, um, you know, transitioning to our main topic, you know, how can you help our audience of real estate investors, you know, and, and why self storage, you know, kind of where you ultimately landed on or currently landed on at least. Yeah, coming out of the single family and small residential space, the next uh, logical step was really to go into multifamily. And, and that's what we did. I think that's what most people do. And 
you know, as you know, probably better than most, Travis, there's a lot of competition in the multifamily oh, space. Yeah. And we just didn't feel like we were able to differentiate ourselves quite as much in that space. So we wanted to transition a bit to more of a niche space. And you hear a lot about mobile home parks and self-storage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think at the end of the day, there's, there's no best asset class, but it's just one that you need to pick. You need to dive into it. And um, you need people to start thinking about you when they, when they think of self-storage. So we've dedicated a whole lot of time in the past few years to get to that level uh, as best we could. Now, are you still diversifying with your team and having some of those multifamilies or single families still in your portfolio? Or have you, are you transitioning out of everything else? Single families, no. Um, still have some flips here and there that, that we work on. That's really not our focus. Same goes for multifamily. We have a couple apartment complexes, and if a deal comes our way, we'll, we'll take a look at it. But most of our focus on a day-to-day basis is on sourcing a new self-storage facility or just asset managing our current portfolio. Wonderful. And where is that portfolio? Is it all kind of East Coast, New York area, or is it all over the country? It's actually mostly in the Midwest. So we nice. started out in Indiana, uh, specifically in Indianapolis. So we built a team there uh, with that whole single family burr scale method in mind. And we just leveraged a lot of those connections as we moved over to commercial. So we leveraged a lot of those broker contacts. We leveraged a lot of our contractors and maintenance folks, a lot of our lending connections. So we started out uh, purchasing self-storage in Indiana, and now we own in Indiana, Tennessee, and Michigan. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, tell me about your actual team, like not in the actual cities, but like with you, do you have partners? How big is your actual team to kind of scale this self-storage business? On the active side, I have one primary partner. Him and I are pretty much 50-50 on all self-storage uh, projects. And in-house, we've, we're vertically integrated, so we do manage our own self-storage facilities rather than go out to a third-party group. So we have a couple of virtual assistants. Uh, we have one U.S.-based sort of office manager who is more involved with the boots-on-the-ground folks, the maintenance folks, helping out with auctions and things of that nature. So um, the way we've approached our, our in-house structure is rather than go out and retain some vendors to maybe be a call center for us or be a full-blown third-party property management team, uh, we've gone ahead and we've built that in-house. And so, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of time that's gone into that and a lot of building, sure. um, but we, we're in a pretty good cadence as, uh, as of now. Oh, that's amazing. And you're definitely a couple steps ahead. It seems like all the greatest companies I'm seeing out there, whether it be multifamily or whatever, they ultimately become vertically integrated and, and they're able to manage all their own assets. And, and we all know like all these service providers, third parties, you know, they try to do a good job at the end of the day, no one's going to take care of your assets better than, than yourself or your own company. Right. Um, that was the exact logic that, that we used when we were deciding uh, a facility or two into this, whether we wanted to retain a third party manager. And we just kept coming back to nobody's going to care about this stuff as much as us. So from day one, we basically built this like a business. A lot of the technology that we implemented early on and still use today was probably way too expensive for one or two facilities. The scale just mm-hmm. wasn't there, but we knew that we wanted to build something bigger and we wanted to work with the folks we wanted to work with. We wanted to work with the technology we wanted to work with. And so we paid a little more upfront to make that happen. That's so key. I don't think enough people do that, right? It's like, begin with the end in mind. You said, I'm not going to grow this one facility or two facilities. And you're right. Like a lot of the software you use, it's like, everyone's like, Hey, that's cost prohibitive when you start, but 
you can't scale if you don't have that. Right. And so then you got to like re rework your whole systems two, three years down the line when you do scale. So I, I love that, that mindset. And I don't think enough people do that. And so I, I just want the audience to really key in on that, that you can be, begin with the end in mind, think about how you're going to scale, where do you want to end up and get those systems up front. They're going to help you build it faster and scale quicker, I think. Um, and it definitely sounds like it's, it's been a big pro to you. Would you have done anything differently, I guess, from the initially where you were at to where you're at today? There was definitely some growing pains sort of building out that call center. That's something in self-storage that's probably a, a bit more unique than in multifamily. It's just the volume of calls is much greater. Uh, there's, oh, you know, you're the ones that are taking payment on a, on a monthly basis, and mm-hmm. all of our leases are month-to-month, whereas in the multifamily world, they're mostly 12 or 24-month leases. Um, there's just always an issue with a tenant who might be locked out of a facility, whose gate code doesn't work, or something like that. So I feel like the volume of calls is just a lot greater than what you'd expect in some other asset classes. So uh, I'd say the one thing we'd probably change is just bringing on a virtual assistant a bit sooner. Okay. In the beginning, we had just a U.S.-based employee handling a lot of those calls. And, um, you know, we needed somebody who was available on the weekends or at night. And those are positions where I think a virtual assistant thrives on. Um, And we were also able to hand off slightly more complex tasks to our office managers. No, that's delegate and elevate is what I always say, you know? Um, so, so help me out. Like what are the top reasons people should invest in self storage? I do not own any self storage. I'm not in any funds that have self storage currently. Um, but I'm in some funds that might buy some self storage, but I'm really multifamily focused. So help educate me and the audience. Like why is this niche so, so valuable and and so profitable potentially? Yeah, sure. And, like I said earlier, I, I certainly don't think there's, there's any best asset class, and I own some multifamily yeah. myself, so uh, there's certainly, when there's a good deal, there's a good deal, right? And it's yeah. all about whether you can manage it, who's going to manage it. Uh, for us, the things that we like so much about self-storage is that it's recession-resistant, right? It's not recession-proof because nothing is, but it was one of the best-performing asset classes right there along with multifamily at the last recession, and it's, it's held up like that for the past few decades and through the past few recessions. Uh, so we like that a lot, and that's something that a lot of investors are very concerned with, whether it's you know interest rate hikes or the state of the economy, and that's something that folks are always asking us. So we always turn back to that, and uh, really self-storage thrives on chaos. Uh, the more that things are changing the higher that self-storage occupancy is. So if folks are downsizing or getting divorced, which increases during a recession or displaced, or uh, even if there's an increase in death, whether that's in the family or or otherwise, generally self-storage occupancy increases, and those are things Mm -hmm. that drive occupancy. So that's something we like a lot. Um, I'd say a a key differentiator between self-storage and multifamily, for example, is just the moratoriums, right? During COVID, there were eviction moratoriums at the federal level and in certain states, whereas self-storage was classified as an essential business and there were no moratoriums. Um, Self-storage was not impacted by those things. And Mm -hmm. generally, even without the moratoriums, self-storage is mainly an auction-type business rather than eviction-type business. So it's a little easier to um, get out from under a non-paying lease. Low maintenance costs, you know, generally self-storage is just four walls and a roof. There's no tenants, no toilets, um, no mechanicals, which is nice. So lends itself to less emergencies. 
And then just barrier to entry. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like there's a lot of competition on the multifamily side. Yeah. Uh, there's not quite as many mom and pop operators out there on the multifamily side anymore. And folks like yourself are buying them all up. Uh, so, you know, in the self-storage space, it's still close to 60 or 70% of the self-storage facilities in the U.S. are operated by mom and pops. Wow. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for folks to reach out and, and try to source a good deal. No, it's super great facts. I, a lot of things uh, I did not know, so I appreciate appreciate that information. Um, you know, with self storage, like some of those metrics you were talking about, like divorce rates, those sorts of things. Are you trying to tie those into when you're when you're sourcing deals or when you're selecting, you know, like your locations for these self storages? Are you looking at demographics like that, or are you or what kind of metrics are you looking at when you selected your the you know like Indianapolis and Michigan that that you are investing in? Yeah, we're, we're absolutely looking at things like that. And I think one big key, uh, which you touched on there with occupancy is, and, and this is the same with multifamily, right? It's just being conservative with what you're going to estimate your occupancy at. During COVID, occupancy levels were 95% plus across the board in self-storage facilities. Whereas, you know, in the past few decades, it's been closer to 85 to 90%. So there were a lot of operators who were purchasing things in the past couple of years, and they were just estimating that either they were going to stay where they were in that 95% plus range, or Mm -hmm. they were going to be able to take something from 86% to 95%. And that's just not realistic. And we've started to see a return to normalcy here in the last year or so, and a return to that normal occupancy. So I think that's a really important factor. And then more in line with your question, too, about demographics, it's super key to analyze demographics when you're looking at a self-storage deal. And it's really key to look at your immediate five to 10 mile radius, because generally stats show us that people don't want to drive a whole lot further than that to access their unit. So you really want to key in on not just the city where you're located in, but what's surrounding you in that five, 10 mile radius, what your competition looks like, how much supply and demand is in that area, what's the median income, what's the job growth look like in that area. So that's something we pay super close attention to, but that, because that's going to impact what we could do with our rental rates and what we think our occupancy could be in the future. Very nice. And now are you like value adding these or you adding security or, you know, how are you increasing the value of these assets currently? Yeah, we're mainly looking for value add facilities. So those could come in different shapes and sizes. Some are more on a physical value add front. Others are more on an economic front. So on the physical side, it could use improvements the same way that perhaps a multifamily asset could use some renovations. So that could be increasing security, maybe putting in an automatic gate, which has a gate code, which disables as soon as a tenant is one day late, which is a really nice feature, helps keep the facility safe, helps keep collections high. Putting in new lights, I mean, that's a pretty simple value add, but the safer people feel, the more likely they are to store with you and the more likely they are to stay. And then on the economic side, like I said, a lot of these facilities are owned by mom and pops. So especially when we're taking a facility over from a mom and pop, uh, there's a whole system that we go through to implement our procedures. And that's getting folks on electronic payments. We don't accept cash, encouraging auto payments, uh, doing our best to decrease expenses, obviously increase income to, to market levels. Like I mentioned, most of the, or pretty much all of the self-storage leases are month to month. So we do have the ability to change as the economy is changing. And mm-hmm. so if we see a, a huge increase in rates, let's say in our market, we're free to do a rate increase. And so generally as we purchase a facility, we'll analyze when the opportune time to do that is, whether we rip the bandaid off in the beginning or do that more systemically throughout the first year. 
Uh, and then decreasing expenses, like I mentioned. One big thing nowadays in the industry is eliminating an on-site office manager. So you'll see a lot of mom and pops, they do have somebody sitting at a desk from nine to five. And mm-hmm. um, you know, the truth of the matter is there's just not enough work for that person to do sure. on-site. And so especially with a lot of the technology that we utilize, uh, that's a pretty big expense that we could eliminate fairly quickly. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess, is it industry norm to all be month to month? Or uh, are you guys trying to push that as far as like trying to get longer term leases on some of these assets? Or is it is it pr- more profitable perhaps to be the month to month? It is industry norm to be month to month. It would definitely be outside of the ordinary to do an annual lease or something like that. Okay. Uh, now it is possible for some larger units, maybe some contractor units, that there is more of a 12 or 24 month lease. And we have a couple of unique assets in our portfolio that have warehouse components attached to the self-storage facility. So think a larger 5,000, 7,000 square foot space that we lease out to somebody like a contractor or a smaller business who needs an industrial office space plus some storage. And those are usually on a longer term three or five year lease. But for the most part, your five by 10, your 10 by 20 type units, those are on a month to month lease. Okay. And I mean, that's kind of creative, I guess, and good because like when you do want to bump up rents or your rates, you know, it's pretty easy walking in as an operator. Like I close a deal, someone just signed a lease last month and I got, got them for another 12 months before I can bump those rents up. So, so it is uh, advantageous, even multifamily, some month to month leases when you're taking over an asset. So I see the advantage there in the self storage world. Um, you know, what's the biggest challenge you're facing currently in the self self storage i mean you know is it is it still financing uh finding deals i mean where where's the biggest challenge or hurdles you're you're overcoming right now i'd say on the financing front that that certainly is challenging it's not because banks aren't interested in self storage i think banks are very interested in self storage i think most lenders will tell you self storage and multifamily are their preferred two assets just because the default rates are the two lowest across any real estate asset classes But even with that being said, I mean, I'm sure you're experiencing this as much as anybody with the interest rate hikes and just some lenders tightening up. Um, The grouping out there is just starting to shrink a little bit. So that is challenging. We've done our best to overcome that just by working with relationship lenders as much as Mm -hmm. we can. And we have some folks that we've done numerous deals with. So we do our best to work with them uh, on any new deals. I'd say the biggest challenge outside of Financing really is sourcing deals, and I think this is across the industry, despite the fact that so many of these are owned by mom and pops, I think there's just a disparity between what buyers are willing to pay and what sellers are willing to sell for nowadays. So there's just so little supply out there on the market, whether you're going direct to seller or dealing with brokers. Uh, So that has certainly been a challenge for us this year. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely agree. And I think with the interest rates, people think the value didn't decrease. And, you know, those mom and pops, especially, hey, I could get X amount last year. It's still worth that. No, well, interest rates doubled. Like they're not as reasonable right now as what I'm finding too in in the world. Um, So, I mean, what, what did I miss? I mean, what are some other, you know, key things that you'd like to share with the audience, maybe about self-storage about, or maybe about what's next for, for your investment company and what you guys are looking to kind of scale or do moving forward? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing to know about self-storage is that it's a business, right? And it's not just a passive investment, unless you're a limited partner in a deal or or something of that nature. If you want to go out there and you want to purchase self-storage, sure, you could bring on a third-party manager. But still, there's so many business aspects of this that go into it. And uh, 
Um, it's not quite like residential real estate. There's a whole lot of marketing that goes into it, which generally you're responsible for. We've brought on a marketing firm to help us uh, zero that in, but um, it's not a passive investment by any stretch. So if you're looking for a business opportunity and something that you could grow into, I certainly think self-storage is, is a good avenue there, but I'd be careful with your expectations going into it. Yeah, I, I try to I try to pump the brakes on a lot of investors before they get into real estate. They hear the passive or mailbox money and I'm like, I don't know any investor that thinks it's passive. Like you're gonna be doing something. Even if you have a property manager, you man you better manage that property manager. Like, no matter what it is, like, you know, I, I have a friend trying to get into short term rentals and they think, Oh, I'll just have someone manage it. It's like you're gonna be dealing with stuff, man. Like be you you know, so I, I love that that take because I think too often people try to sell that this is super passive. I can just buy it and be hands off and it's like, no. It's a business. You're buying a business, and you gotta you gotta manage that business, and you gotta operationalize that business, and you know have that business outperform the competition. Ultimately, um, that's awesome. So, um, you know, what's next again? Like, what's next for Next Investments? Like, where do you guys see yourself? Are you looking to expand into different areas? Um, and then with Next, um, are you guys like raising money? Are you are you doing you know limited partner deals? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, we, we are raising money, and so we do have a fund open now. Uh, okay. We just closed our second facility into that fund a couple months ago, so nice. we're lining up our next deal for that, and we hope to hope to have that fund closed out here by the end of the year. And immediate goal, once that happens, is just stabilize that asset, uh, stabilize the, the portfolio as a whole, and then consider a second fund in 2024. So we're very much in, in growth mode. We are looking for additional deals and uh, additional ways to close those deals. What is up, hot REI Nation? My name is Jordan Adela with Simplicity Lending Group and powered by Nexa Mortgage. As the nation's largest broker, Nexa Mortgage offers a variety of creative and competitive loan options through our 170 plus partnerships to help you achieve home ownership with the speed and service that you deserve. Whether you are a first time home buyer or an experienced investor, I'm dedicated to finding the right program to fit your financial goal. My mission is to make home ownership a very easy and seamless process from start to finish. If you are in the market today to purchase real estate, please contact me to find the best mortgage solution for your needs. Awesome. So if you guys want to get a hold of Michael, make sure nextplayinvestments.com. I'll include all his contact information in the show notes, obviously. Um, but Michael, are you ready for the hot seat? Yes, let's do it. All right. We ask all our guests the same final four hot questions. Number one, what is one book you'd recommend to someone wanting to know more about real estate investing or maybe self-storage? Yeah, I'll go the self-storage route with this question, and I'll suggest The Investor's Guide to Growing Wealth in Self-Storage, written by A.J. Osborne. Love it. Have not read it. I will definitely pick that up, and I want to know more about self-storage. Um, what is your favorite productivity tip or trick, tool, time saver, an app that lets you get more done than the common person? I think you have about 12 jobs like myself. So <laughs> attorney, real estate broker, you know, managing this business. How do you do it all? I'd say biggest tip is just consider hiring a virtual assistant. Uh, it's daunting at first managing an, an employee directly, but you mm -hmm. could offload a whole lot of stuff. And it sounds like you're just like me with the who, not how mentality and, uh, so Absolutely. long as you're you're able to delegate and, and set up some good systems and procedures, it's a game changer. 
Oh, yeah. Who Not How is like one of those books. It's on my shelf. Somehow it comes up in almost every one of these podcasts. It's crazy. <laughs> um, what is your biggest real estate mistake or failure? And what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, you, you hear a lot of, I wish I would have start, started earlier. And I think that's yeah. true for everybody. I'd say, I, w- I wish I would have went bigger a bit earlier. Mm. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, started in the residential space and then transitioned into commercial. And, and sure, there were some good lessons that, that we applied from the residential space. But the commercial world is, is a slightly different world. And, yeah. um, you know, had we started earlier, I think that would have been beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably it the opens most up common. a lot more opportunities, too. Right. I mean, we really couldn't take on passive partners in the residential world when you're dealing with a single family or duplex or or a flip. There's just not enough meat on the bone. But when you get into these larger commercial opportunities, it opens up opportunities for your network. And, you know, as I'm sure you've seen, there's just so many folks who are interested in investing in real estate. Oh, absolutely. Everyone loves real estate. Like, I t- I'm a pharmacist by training, right? And I, I had a conversation uh, podcast and we talked about like, what do you tell people you do? And I'm like, I always tell people I'm a real estate investor. They're like, why? Like, even my dad has this problem with it. And I'm like, pharmacist gives me nothing back. Like, they want to show me something, ask me about a drug medication, something. I'm like, but when I talk about investing, right, everyone's got a house or a problem or something. That, you know, I'm like, there's always value there. Like, I've literally told someone that and all of a sudden got a listing um, just because they were like, oh, well, you're really smart. You're a pharmacist, too. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I want you to, you know, manage my home. So it's, it's kind of nuts out there. And definitely getting started early is the number one response we get uh, for, you know, biggest mistakes. So thanks for sharing that. And finally, Michael, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? So I'm going to have to circle back to that quote about leaning into the uncomfortable. I'll try to expand on that just a little bit. Um, I I think there's always going to be something that you don't know, but I think preparing yourself as best you can, uh, taking that education portion of it seriously, networking, that way when it's time to make that decision and you're feeling a little uncomfortable, you're not just winging it. Um, The decision you make is based on real tangible data and knowledge. So I think combination of leaning into that uncomfortable and just preparing yourself for what's on the other side is key. Yeah, that's, that's great advice and, and really enjoy that. Um, so the best place for the hot REI community to connect with Michael is going to be at nextplayinvestments.com. Thank you again, man. This was a, a ton of value for me personally, and I'm sure for the audience because self-storage is one of those things I haven't necessarily fully educated myself with the real estate investment game, but um, I learned a ton and hope to stay in contact and continue to, to learn from you. Um, to the audience, thank you for tuning in today and commit to taking action today to move your investing forward. Take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Hot Real Estate Investing Podcast. Check out our website, hotrei.com for additional content and resources. And please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review so we can continue to bring even more value to others through real estate investing.